Hebrews 12, and we're going we're gonna to be looking at verses 1, 2, and 3. Um, quite a... Uh, the quantity is small, but the quality of these three verses could take us weeks to get through. But I want you to understand that we're also going to be thinking about these three verses in the context of the season we're in, and that's Advent, um, especially this week of joy. I don't know if you've noticed, the Lord has worked Advent out in the themes of faith, hope, joy, and even will be in peace next week in a, in a divine way. We've not had to remove ourselves from Hebrews to consider Advent this year. And I'm very thankful for that because I want us to remember that Advent is a season of, of contemplating, remembering that we are anticipating, we are waiting, we are looking forward to, we are looking back at the, the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And in all of that, Anticipating, waiting, is enduring, which is what Hebrews 11 and 12, uh, Hebrews 11 uh, and into 12 is really hammering home. Endurance. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. Got down to the point that we're enduring through a battle in this life of sin. So what, what the hope is this morning, what my goal is this morning is to take those three verses and walk through them fairly quickly. Verses 1, 2, and 3, just kind of hitting the high points uh, and then connecting it to joy. And I, I don't think it – I don't think we're pressing that connection Hard. I think it's fairly obvious as we read through it and think through it. Uh, so let's read verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 12, followed with a prayer, and then we'll walk through and see what the Word has to say. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Pray with me. Spirit of God, we look to you now to work. To bring forth fruit. Preach a better sermon than I'm about to preach. Open the eyes the hearts of those who hear that we all might find joy in 
Christ Jesus our Lord. That's in his name we pray. Amen. So, verse 1. Therefore, or having therefore, or however your, your starts, connects us back, verse 1, to the rest of what we've been talking about in Hebrews, especially in verses chapters 10 and 11. The therefore is connecting us to remind us to look back and see where we've come from. And we've been we've we've just not been able to let go of chapter 10 for the last few weeks. And I want you to understand why. And it's because in the middle of chapter 10 is this great transition. In the middle of chapter 10 comes this transition of how he was preaching, how he was teaching. From chapter 7, 8, and 9, and half of 10 in Hebrews, he is, uh, uh, we could say, teaching doctrinally. He's expressing and expounding truth about Jesus. He's, he's expressing the truth about the marvelous works of Christ as our great high priest. About the atoning sacrifice for our sin. How Christ has is perfecting us by his innocent blood that he shed as an offering. Perfecting us for the presence of God. Wretched sinners like us. And that in that shedding of that blood and him acting as our high priest, he has secured for us, he's secured it, it's there, an eternal, forever redemption, secure by Christ. So in 1019, he, we see another therefore, and that's the transition of saying, now I want you to take what I've just told you and, and apply it to your life. And so from 1019 on, for the rest of Hebrews, is that application. We take what we've learned about Jesus, what he's done, and now we're going to filter it through how we are supposed to live. And you heard me say over and over again for weeks, therefore we are going to draw near to God. Because that's what Jesus died for. That we draw near to God. We get to Hebrews 10, 19 and we, we see the let us draw near. Let us enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us encourage one another because as today ends, guess what? We're another day closer to the final day. And then in the rest of 10, he says, and life is going to hit you in the face if. Now, I, I don't, life is hard because we live in a world of sin, okay? And that's not what I'm talking about. I want you to understand that he, the writer of Hebrews is saying, life is going to get hard because you're following Christ. Life gets difficult because you're a Christian and the world hates you because the world hated Christ. The world wants you to take in what it has to offer you. And the world wants you to reject what Christ has to offer you. And if you reject the world and, 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 and hold fast to Christ, you will suffer. And then James 
says what? Count that joy. But he says at the end of 10, you have need of endurance. If you're going to do the will of God, and that's to draw near to Him through Jesus Christ, if you're to be obedient to Him by faith, you need endurance. You need to live by faith, he says. And then in verse 11, he tells us, now, this is what faith is. And here is testimony of plenty of people who have lived by faith. So here's where we get back to Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have or since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those that you've just read about in Hebrews 11. He says we're surrounded by a great, a large cloud, a cluster, like this huge cluster of people who are willing not to be a witness and watch you, but to give testimony to the faithfulness of God. See, we can't read chapter 12, verse 1, and say, oh, we have all of these people looking at us. No, they're saying what he's going to say in verse 2, look to Jesus. They are giving testimony that when you live by faith, it's worth it. When you live in hope of something that you will not receive in this lifetime from God is worth it. They are to give testimony to the faithfulness of God. Consider a courtroom, right? What do you what who who wins the case? Usually those who have the best witnesses. Well, Hebrews 11 is God saying, check out all my witnesses. Everyone who can testify to what I say and what I will do. Uh, I was thinking about things that we do only if we know someone else has done it. Um, we've had we have someone testify that it's okay or it's good or it'll work out. So say you come across a food that is foreign to you. Uh, have you ever had escargot? Right? Snails? It's like, well, I ate, you know, you're, you've got to, well, I've had it before. Oh, you, you live through it. Okay, so maybe I'll try it. Um, or what about something we like to do around here on the lake, and that's jump off cliffs, bluffs, Right? But usually you only get the nerve to do it when you see someone else do it and live through it, right? They're giving testimony that, hey, it, it's okay. It'll work out for you. And that's, it's, it's kind of what we're, we're seeing here in Hebrews 12. He's saying, hey, I'm telling you to live by faith. You can't see what you have coming you're going to be denying yourself for something better. Look at the people who have done this in the past. And look where they are now. 
the writer of Hebrews, when he gets to verse tw- or chapter 12, he's saying, now it's your turn to jump. It's your turn to pick up the mantle of faith and ultimately run the race. Therefore, he says, verse 1, let us, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also pick up the baton. It's your turn to jump. Join these brothers and sisters of faith that have come before you. You've heard their testimony. You know their story. You've seen the faithfulness of God. Now draw near to him as well. Let us also, he says, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, so now he's not he he's he's going to say these people lived their life, they ran the race. Now it's your turn to run the race. It's your turn to live the life, and it's going to take endurance. Run the race of endurance that is set before you. So we're just going to have to make an obvious point here, which I'm pretty sure we've made a couple times. Christian life isn't a hundred isn't a 100 yard dash. Okay, it's not a, it's not a checkoff box. It's not a, I got saved, now I can breathe easy and live my life uh, and it not affect the rest of my days. If you are in Christ, it will affect the rest of your days. That's the whole point of chapter, the end of chapter 10. If you are following Christ, be ready for your life to be affected, but also in the positive. The fruit of the Spirit, the things of obedience, of loving one another, honoring one another, loving your spouse. Your life is, if you're a Christian, your life is about Christ. We don't lump getting getting baptized as a goal for our kids. It's like we want them to walk, talk, potty train, read, get baptized, graduate, married, have kids, retire. No. It's, It's not a goal of ours. It is our life. Our union with Christ is our life. And life is nothing without him. Graduation, marriage, retirement, all of it is meaningless without Christ. I digress. The Christian life is a marathon. That's the cliche we all know, but we tend to forget. And you must run and you must finish. That's that's the point of Hebrews. One of the points of Hebrews is if you don't finish, you don't finish. You don't get to you don't get to clock out at age 65 in Christianity. You don't get to say I've done my share. I'm going to I'm going to let someone else do work. We're always Christians. We're always serving. We're always enduring. We're always fighting sin. We must run the race and finish it. You cannot quit. When you run especially a long race, you're going to come across hills, right? Hills aren't fun. They slow you down and they hurt. They hurt bad. But you got to keep running when you hit the hill. But there are some times when you get over the hill and you just, if you know how to run, you just lean back and let gravity take you down. So there are times in our lives when we look and they are hard. And there are times in our lives when we look and they're not so hard. 
But you have to remember that there's danger going up the hill and there's danger going down the hill. There's danger in the hard times to to think that God's not there because times are hard. He doesn't keep his promises because you're having a hard time. And there's times when you're going downhill and things are going great and you just forget about God. So he calls us to run this race of endurance, this long distance race. We got to keep going, but he says in order to do this, we have to we have to get prepared to run the race. We have to be ready to go and run the race. So he starts and he says, "Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely." Lay aside every weight and sin that clings so... If you have extra weight when you get to the uphill portions of your run, you're just working harder. And you might not make it up the hill. I kept having this thought, and it's not its not a very good an, uh, analogy with this, but if you've ever tried to run or do any sort of long-term activity after eating a very large meal... That's a lot of extra weight, and it really doesn't fit well with endurance. But the point being, when you want to hang on to things that are going to drag you down, slow you down, and weigh you down, you might not finish the race. At best, you're going to make it harder for you. You're going to make that hill a lot tougher Just imagine if you're driving through town and you see – in your drive through town, you see two different types of runners. You see one guy, he's got – He's got some. He's got shorts on. They're light. They're tight. They're not getting in any way. And then you come across a guy who's jogging in in jeans. And you're thinking that guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's not been given instruction. Maybe he's been given instruction, but he hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't listened to the person who told him you don't need to run in jeans, man. They're gonna make it harder. So enough with the analogy. Sin makes your life hard. As a follower of Christ, life is already going to be hard. When you hang on to sin, it's self-inflicted. But if you want to run with endurance, you've got to let it go. You've got to shed your idols. You got to put to death your desire for pleasure or comfort or control or power. You try to hang on to those, you're not going to be able to run. You might not be able to make it to the end. Actually, I know for a fact if you hang on to those idols, you won't make it to the end. If you hang on to the things that make you happy, that aren't Christ, if those are the things that drive your life, you won't be able to make it to the end. Because what if, let's just throw out this random illustration. What if 
you're unwilling to let go of your family for the sake of Christ. I don't mean I'm going to leave my family to go do this and go do this and I hope they do well. No, no, no. I mean, Jesus says, if you're not willing to hate your father or mother, if you're not willing to give them up for me, then you don't love me. You're not willing to lose them for me. You're not worthy of following me. So, you don't want to. You don't want to let. Go. We can idolize our families, our kids, our careers. We, whatever. And it come push comes to shove, and it's deny Jesus or lose your job. Well, you're at the hill, right? You've approached the hill, and you have to endure. Well, if, if you're not willing to let go of that weight and that sin, then you're not going to make it up the hill. You're not going to endure. We have to let go. We have to lay aside these things. But we cannot run the race of endurance. Now, verse 2, looking to Jesus. So we're going to run... We're going to lay aside every weight and sin. We're going to run this race of endurance looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So here we have a display of our faith and hope. We look to Jesus by faith. Have you seen him lately? No. Let, let, let's, let's see what he says to... Uh, Thomas. Jesus says to Thomas, Peace be with you after he's resurrected. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hands and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So the writer of Hebrews says, look to Jesus. Well, you can't see him. But by faith you believe in him. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. If you're going to endure, you have to be convinced. Of the nail-pierced hands. You have to be convinced. Of the spear. Hole in his side. And you have to look to that. Look to him. Look to Christ. Looking to him as your hope. Your salvation. Your faith begins with Jesus. The founder. And it ends with Jesus. The perfecter. We run the race of endurance because of him, and we know we finish because of him. But we also see that he ran this race of endurance. Jesus ran the race. Look what it says. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured. He endured the cross. Not only... Do we see that Jesus finished the race? 
But we see a secret, his secret weapon to finish, to endure. To endure. What was it? It was joy. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Joy was Jesus' secret. What was Jesus holding on to as he suffered through life? As he approached the cross, as he hung, nailed, and he was dying. What gave him joy? What caused him to continue? I just want to read you what Matthew Henry writes in his commentary on Hebrews 12, verse 2. Here's what Matthew Henry says about Jesus' joy that brought him through suffering and the cross. He says this, He had something in view under all his suffering which was pleasant to him. He rejoiced to see that by his suffering he would make satisfaction to the injured justice of God and give security to his honor and government. God would be glorified and justified in his death. He saw that he should make peace between God and man. That gave Jesus joy. He saw that he should seal the covenant of grace and be the mediator of it. That he should open a way of salvation to the chief of sinners. And that he should effect, effectually save all those whom the Father had given him. And himself be the firstborn among many brethren. This was the joy that was set before him. And because of this, he did what? Endured the cross despising the shame. Do y'all know what despising means? It's just one of those words where we say it, and it's like, well, what do we really mean when we say we despise something? He saw the suffering and the shame that was before him at the cross, and he regarded it as nothing. He regarded it as this big. And how do we know that he finished the race? Well, where is he right now? Seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured. He defeated sin. He conquered death. He was resurrected and ascended to the Father in his victory. Look to him. Now he says in verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility. Think about this for a minute. Meditate on what Christ has done. Verse 3, Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself so that, put your name in, may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He endured so that you can endure. He finished the race so that you can run the race and finish the race. Think back to the cliff jumping. There's a set of bluffs. Now this analogy falls apart, but it was helpful. Think, think, back to, think back to jumping off bluffs at the lake. There's a set of them uh, that we used to go to when I was young, and it's a set of three. Small, medium, large. Imagine you and I, as sinful human beings, 
are at the bottom, bottom ledge. And it's like five feet. And we're scared to death to jump. We have no courage to jump. None whatsoever. Fearful of death. Scared stiff. Unwilling to jump into the water. And then somebody from the very top one. And we look at the top one and we're like, there's no way. I'm scared of this one. There ain't no way that I'm going to even look up at that one. And someone from the very top one says, hey, look at me and jumps in. They jump from the spot you could never even get to. And after they jump, you think, huh. Then you jump off. You follow them in. Look to Jesus, who endured the cross. Something you and I could never do. Never, ever, ever. Do you know what he did when he endured the cross? He endured the wrath of God for sin. Christ ran the race we could never run. We couldn't endure. You you can't drink his cup. But because of the cup that he drank, the jump he made, the race he won, we're now able to get in the race and run. The race that's set before us. Consider him endured endured for sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. So the secret of Jesus... And endurance and the secret for your endurance, I just, I believe and I'm confident is joy. And I am very, it's been very tough to prepare a sermon on joy because I feel like it's such a place that I have failed as a Christian. You know, we we understand like the good Sunday school answer when we talk about joy, and we can remark it to anyone. But the question is, is are we joyful? I mean, are we? That's why I asked you this morning. Does Jesus make you happy? Okay, so I want us to think about joy in its just general sense for a minute. And you might you you might buck against this definition, but I want you to hang with me because I just want to simply simply give us a definition of joy to think about and hang on to. Joy is a feeling of delight or happiness. Joy is a feeling of delight or happiness. Now, the problem that we have and the problem I've run into and I've gotten into is that we have we have put in one corner joy and the other corner happiness. And we said these two things are enemies. Biblical joy is not happiness and happiness cannot be biblical joy. Well, when you when you just research what joy is in biblical 
commentary and and concordances. Do you know the word that keeps popping up? Happiness. And I'm thinking, how I don't know how many sermons I've heard that says joy is good, happiness is bad. I've preached that sermon. Happiness is not bad. What you're happy about is the problem. Okay? You and I are created in the image of God, and we're created with the capacity to be happy, to be joyful. Now, let's, let's, let's give some bad examples of happiness and then some good examples. Well, let, let me – well, let me say this first. Is love bad? No. If your neighbor says – if your neighbor Bob says that he's in love with Jim, is love bad? No. But who he loves, the object of his love, is wrong. So we say happiness is not good. Happiness is bad. Happiness is not joy. Well, that's just – in a worldly understanding of happiness. First off, let's not equate happiness with like clowns, okay? That's not happiness. That's not what we're talking about. But also, we, we also have to understand that if happiness is leading us into sin, then that's not happiness. That's just sin, and you feel good. Like someone leaves their spouse because they're happy with someone else. Well, they might feel happy, but they're in sin, Happiness is not bad. It is what you're happy about. Joy is natural to us. Now, think about this. Imagine a father coming home to a family from war. The father's been gone for two years. The, the, the children haven't seen their dad for 24 months. And, and the father comes in. What do you think fills that house? Joy and happiness. There's nothing wrong with happiness. You hold that newborn baby. That brings some happiness and joy to your heart. But here's what you got to understand. That father comes home. You hold that baby. Or you see that beautiful sunset and you find happiness in those things. Every single one of those things will fade away. That dad, he might bark at them in anger the next day. We know what's going to happen to him in the long run. He will die. That baby... Will grow up to rebel against mom and dad. And ultimately. Will also die. There might not be. Well. Today. I walked out from my house. And looked around and said. 
What a crummy day. Because there was no sunset to admire. And so if I am constantly trying to find happiness in the things that do not last, I might be happy, but it's temporary. We, as Christians, are seeking eternal joy. Indestructible happiness. The joy that comes as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We'll call it Christian joy. Christian joy finds delight and happiness in God and the things of God. First and foremost, three quick things on joy and we'll finish. First and foremost, Christ is our joy. That is the only way to eternal joy. That is the only way to have eternal happiness. Uh, Hark the heralds, the angels sing. I bring you good news of great joy, for unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory to the newborn King, peace on earth, mercy and mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Joy comes and is increased as we look and focus by faith on Christ, looking unto Jesus, considering Jesus. As an example, yes, but most importantly, when you read Hebrews 12, 1, 2, and 3, when you see looking unto Jesus or considering Him, I don't want you to see Him as an example to follow while that's okay. I want you to see Him for the joy that you're after. The reward for the race. The treasure you receive in the end. He is your joy. Look to him and consider him and you will find joy and happiness. He had joy when he suffered. If you have him, you can suffer and be joyful at the same time. And you might be like, well, you can't say that. You can't tell me. You can't tell me that I should be joyful and sorrowful in trials and suffering. That Remember, we're not talking about clowns here. When I talk about, the Bible talks about joy while suffering. We're talking about being satisfied in God. You lose a loved one, if you have joy in Christ, you are still satisfied in God. If you lose a child, weep and weep and weep, but you can weep 
enjoy knowing that God keeps his promises. He endured for sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And I mean, I think what he wants us to say is that he did that so that when you want, you're going through life and trials, you can still have joy. Don't, it was Jesus' delight to die for you. It was his joy to have nails hammered into his hands and his feet. He found joy in suffering to the point of death so that as you suffer through life, you can find delight in him. True Christians have this joy. Now, how do I know? Well, number one, it's a fruit of the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you have joy. And number two, Jesus says, I came so that you could have my joy. John 15. And John 16 is, I should have talked about this earlier. It's interesting that Jesus says that when he dies, do you know who's going to rejoice? Do you, when, you, when we say the word rejoice, we say, we're basically saying, who's going to be full of joy? Okay? Do you know who's going to be full of joy, Jesus says, when I die? The world. The world is going to be joyful when I die. And you will be mourning, disciples. But the world has joy in temporary things. Because guess what? He rose from the dead. So the world says, yes, I find happiness only in temporary things. And he says, but disciples, you will have happiness in me. And guess what? I will never be temporary because I will come up from the dead. Indestructible joy. We're reading that. Uh, men and women in our men's meeting and our women's fellowship. Indestructible joy. It's indestructible because he's resurrected. And he is our joy. It's eternal. True Christians have this. True Christians find happiness in Jesus. Oh, it's, quickly, sin hinders it. Sin hinders joy. Sin causes you to take your eyes off of Christ. Sin causes you to set your mind on the things of the earth, not the things above where Christ is. It weighs you down and makes your running so much more difficult and potentially impossible. Sin deceives you and says, I'll give you joy. Well, what happens to it? Fades away. Because it's the object that you're finding joy in, not the joy itself. Because it will fade away. But what happens? Uh, joy from the world says you can have joy, or the world says you can have joy in a career, in a vacation, in possessions, in relationships, your spouse, your kids. But what happens when you lose your job? A hurricane cancels your vacation, the house burns to the ground, or your spouse or your child dies. 
Well, if you find your joy in all these things, you find your joy in, in sin ultimately. And when you lose your joy, uh, when you lose your job, you'll lose your joy. When the hurricane blows away your ha- uh, your vacation, it'll blow away your happiness. When you delight in a relationship, when that relationship dies, your delight dies. Sin hinders joy. But Christian joy says you can have all things because you have Christ. Christian joy comes from Christian joy comes and finds increase the more you find Christ is all satisfying. This is why I think in Acts 2, when they said that the, the, the new believers had all things in common, what do you think that meant? Not, not that they all liked the color red or they all had blue eyes or that their kids went to the same school. It's because their everything was Christ and everyone had that in common because they didn't need anything else. So we as a people, if we don't ultimately find our delight in Christ... We won't have anything in common because I'm looking around. None of y'all got anything in common. But if Christ is your delight, you have everything in common. So when we walk through these doors, we're neither slave nor free, nor the Greek, nor no, it's Christ. It's Christ that unites us. Your delight in Christ. And if you don't find happiness in Christ, you won't find happiness with these people. If you find Jesus as the greatest treasure, it will not matter what happens to you, what you lose, who hates you, what you suffer through. Because guess what? You're willing to give it all up anyway. Last thing, and I'll quit. And I'm thankful the Lord showed this to me this weekend. I've quoted this parable dozens of times in two years. And somehow I've missed this. Turn to Matthew 13 so you won't miss it. Verse 44. Please pay careful attention. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts to see this. The kingdom of heaven. Who is the king of the kingdom? It's Christ. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. His joy of finding Christ allowed him to get rid of everything. You want my life? Take it. My life is hidden with Christ on high. So I ask you. Before let, let's all bow our heads to pray, and I just want to ask you a question again before we continue. 
And then we close in our service. Does Jesus make you happy? When you think, when you think about the cross of Christ, are you delighted in it as much as you are on payday? Do you find as much satisfaction in the work of Christ as you are about to find as we go and eat a meal? Do you get more joy from a ball game than you get from reading the Gospels? My prayer and desire is that you find your ultimate delight, your ultimate happiness in Jesus Christ. That you can say with the psalmist, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, Lord Jesus, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are treasures forevermore. Father, Fill us up with the joy of Christ. Take from our hands those things that we hold so close to us that keeps us from delighting in you. Increase our joy. And may it not be a saying, but the reality of our hearts. And may people see it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.